it's always best to go in with a very clear intention. You have to have the right mindset. You have to know what you want to come out of this journey. Even if it's something as vague as, I just want to feel better. Welcome to Theoretically Speaking, hosted by Victoria Herrera and Brent Javier, produced by Next Theory. From the Philippines to the world, this is an interview series with creative entrepreneurs, tastemakers, and change agents. We dissect the journey they took from dream to reality, exchanging stories from the past, motivations in the present, to ideas for the future. Welcome back to part two of Sarah Meyer in Theoretically Speaking. So today we continue to journey with Sarah to see what's really in her brain. Now last week we navigated her adventures in being a VJ for MTV Asia, her learnings around the experience of Philippines Next Top Model, her being a creative director for Fashion Forward website Pramada, and of course, her landing the role of editor-in-chief of Metro Magazine. So what I forgot to mention last week, yes I forgot, is that I've also worked with Sarah on a few projects. One being a radio show called The Dollhouse, where that's pretty much where I learned how to host, just by watching Sarah and learning via osmosis. We also work together for Philippine Fashion Week TV, and currently up to today, we still work together in another company that we both co-founded called She Talks Asia. It's more of our women empowerment side. But today we're going to dive into her thoughts about what she's studying, learning, and guys, if you know us, you know that this is how we usually talk to Sarah. So if Brent and I were to see her, you know, casually for coffee, we know that two hours in, we would probably find ourselves talking about life. And this is why we love her. We love her energy, we love how she speaks, and we just love how she flows. And that's it with all our guests. Even if we know them from one experience or several in my case, there's always a different side to them that we'd love to share to the public. And this is what you're going to see. So take a listen. Does this new perspective, like if you were to compare how you were as an editor of Metro looking at fashion to how you're looking at fashion now, what would you feel would be, say, your greatest lessons from that? I think, you know, with this pandemic has really shifted the, the focus and the attention on the ecosystem of life, sort of what is feeding into it. This lesson became most vivid to me when, during Ondoy, we had gone down to, um, God, now I can't remember the name of the bridge. Anyway, so it's like behind like La Vista. We'll find it. <laughs> no. Oh, that's not right. Anyway, so behind like La Vista and all that things down by down by the Pasig River. And we were volunteering and trying to help out the communities. Politicians hadn't even like addressed the need in the communities down there. They had no food. They had, you know, it was tough. I remember one time we went down there and like a lady was like, can you help me? And it's like, help, what, sorry, trigger warning. But she's like, can you help us pull like the dead bodies out of the houses? Like they're floating inside our house. And we don't know where to put them. And it was just like, oh my God, you know, you're kind of like at the forefront of the situation where it's like your government's failing you. It's like real, like human to human kind of shit where it's like, okay. Then you realize that you're giving out this food, not thinking at the time, this is the first time we're doing this, we're giving it out in styrofoam and people are eating it and throwing it right back into the river. The weather system is so fucked up is because all the shit that we're pumping into the air like you know i mean it's all related and people were not seeing that in that regard i realized that maybe a lot of the healing that so industries are also living breathing things just as are like humans just as plants are and we all have this world in which so 
on being in cannabis I'm around like the plant alone and you know it's the same thing as like same thing with cannabis it's the same thing with wine where the plant absorbs the energy of the ground and like changes based on the environmental circumstances and I think the industry is the same thing where it's coming down to this point where how do we clean out the ecosystem how do we pump only the good good into it that we're getting the best of the best and not this kind of like overdrive gotta have this super trendy fast fashion world where nobody's being conscious about what they're consuming and that's why everything i think is spinning out of control there's just a heightened demand for creating and creative people don't create at that speed like and, and that level and that pace prices are going through the roof or dropping down super bottom becoming just really unaffordable like it's a weird very unstable not grounded industry and i think that a lot of the grounding that has to happen is around the area of just being more aware and more sustainable i love that and i think going back to your point the industry was demanding more 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 right and it's like more posts more social media more metrics more this more outfits more that and to the point where the industry burnt out because it was like everyone was just forcing to produce, but it wasn't coming from the soul anymore. It was coming for that demand for numbers or metrics or some sort of thing. And if you're a producer on that speed, you're bound to get tired. So it's interesting to see how the entire industry is also shifting, whether it be using plastic to make shoes or jeans and just also reinventing supply chains, how things are marketed, how people are consuming now. How do you see the future of the fashion industry, at least? I think the future of the fashion industry is going to be, it's one of those things where either you pivot and reinvent and adapt to the new normal, or you're going to fall to the wayside, right? And I think becoming really intentional about what you want to do and what you want to create is part of the exercise. I predict that the people that make it are the ones that are very, very clear on the shifts that they have to make and what they have to contribute and what the craft means to them as individuals. I think that people that were doing it kind of just for the hype and like, you know, for the cool boy status, they're going to fall to the wayside because at the end of the day, it's coming back to this world where you have to honor process. I think that the shift that we were in, like this phase that we've been in, I mean, maybe for the past, like, I would say maybe seven years of, um, Hype. Hype. Yeah. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, like, what is hype? Where are you going to land? Is it going to catch everybody? Is it going to support everybody? Like, no, right? But it's the diligent ones that have really celebrated process that have paid their dues, you know, in the back rooms away from like the sort of glory of social media where it's like, I have been an apprentice. I am working my way towards mastery and this is my craft. But I think what happened when social media came about was they started celebrating like the here and now, like the quick, quick, and people would only see end product and not realize how much blood, sweat, and tears went into creating that product. And then all of a sudden it became, wow, that seems so easy. How come I can't do that? Then the self-esteem starts dropping, but then you're also still getting access to all this awesome stuff where it's this pinball where you're just your emotions are up and down you're inspired by what you're seeing on instagram one day and then you're just yanked all the way down to the bottom because it's like you just feel like maybe you're not doing enough i think that's the difference between brands that have like heritage and have lasted the test of time like 100 years in the business it's not based on hype it's based on quality craftsmanship reputation and being able to stand with a purpose and making stuff with intention like like you mentioned 
Have you heard of a term called silent streetwear? Have you heard of that one yet? What's that? So supposedly it's like back to bringing quality streetwear. It's like the opposite of hype. So take away the big logos, the all over prints, and just get into the real, real clothes, the craftsmanship, making sure that stuff is going to last you 10 years down the road, hopefully for your whole life. Yeah, so Metro just interviewed me, I think maybe like last week on sort of how I saw the future of fashion. And I I said precisely that, you know, luxury houses are going to have sort of a a reckoning day where they have heritage, but I think that they have all gotten sucked into sort of like this frou-frou hype thing where it's so much more about embellishments than it is about construction at this point, where I think that luxury brands may have to come to the point where they humble themselves and look to brands like and Dickies and Levi's and North Face and Patagonia in terms of function and sort of longevity. It's not anymore about having that new new, but then really somebody like a Louis Vuitton going back to heritage. So you're talking about how the craftsmanship that went into their work back then. And like, does that translate now? Like, is that why people are buying it? Or is it because of the name droppable status? I think so the pendulum has to just swing back that way. I mean, that line too, between high fashion labels and streetwear has also got very much blurred. So I don't know, for me, I find it interesting on what's going to happen next with fashion, but I'm hoping that they shift towards that way where they're making quality stuff. People are checking what kind of stitches are being used and like your jeans don't fall apart after a day. The clothes don't fade after one wash. Like, you know, I, uh, and in terms of aesthetic, like, what does that look like? I forget what season it was, but, you know, Sasa Jimenez had come out with a, a post-apocalyptic collection at one point for Philippine Fashion Week, where it was, she was really being intentional about sort of fabrics that she was using that would be able to withstand sort of like this, like extreme climate situation. And in terms of functionality, what that meant and what that looked like, could it adapt extreme heat and extreme and still look fashionable, like utilitarian, but like edgy. So she did that hell long ago. And then I'm thinking, I think it was 2018 where, you know, the DKNYs and the products, like there was like hazmat suit, apocalypse inspired. And then if you really think about what Yeezy is, like Yeezy is that. It's kind of like this weird post-apocalyptic, devoid of anything flashy or embellished. It's like very just raw, right? Yeah, 100%. And like the monochrome, like all of that. I, he, you know, he's, he's always been kind of like ahead. And I think in this case, it continues to be so in terms of fashion. Since you brought up Philippine fashion, what Filipino designers do you fuck with? Joey Sampson, for damn sure. Uh, Leslie, yeah. Leslie Mobo. Those are the two that like without batting an eyelash in terms of consistency and what they provided over the years in terms of towing the line for Joey, in terms of towing the line for gender and kind of like being very androgynous and fluid and putting women in suits at a very early stage, reconstructing the barong to be like very delicate and feminine same time put that on somebody else and it it takes on a different meaning it's just in terms of construction and attention to detail like very spot on leslie mobo is a visionary i I truly believe in what he has to offer 
right now during COVID, he's back in Panay living the island life. Like he was in London. And so you just see now how that being in that environment is changing his, his creative lifestyle and his vision. His Instagram has now shifted to pictures of fish, but like the bounty of like where he lives and incorporating nature. He has the Aethas wearing his creations and his designs where it's just like, wow, shit, this is some future type shit. This is crazy where you're bringing it back to your roots. And that is the new luxury. From your perspective now, looking at the Philippines, how does it look like to you? Gosh, I, it, it's not, like, I don't know if I can describe it in one clear picture, but it's like I can see the energy and the force field around it. And kind of like, you know how when you do your reading aura, like your auras, your colors and everything, I can see it now. And it's not so much as I see it as one image, but I can see where it is broken and where it can be fixed. And what's really interesting is that stepping outside of the Philippines kind of put me on to realizing how colonized reality still truly, truly is. And it's so interesting that stepping away from it was able to show me the entire forest. When you're standing right up against a tree, you don't know what the whole thing looks like. And, you know, it boils down to how that's perpetuated in like our political systems and in all systems. Why is it so difficult to get something done at the bank? Why does there so many, it have to be so many hoops getting a driver's license? It doesn't be like this. Why does that sort of like culture and inefficiency spill into the Philippine consulate in San Francisco? Like you're in San Francisco. Why are you not operating like the rest of San Francisco? And it's like this inherent cultural thing, which also like connects to why can't our people stand in, in queue? because we've been oppressed so much. So much has been sort of like taken from us that if you don't cut in, if you don't fight for it, if you don't create layers and hoops for people to jump through, then you're not going to be able to get what's truly yours. It's like this weird Stockholm syndrome or this weird like thing where mentality also. Yeah, scarcity mentality and like difficulty mentality where it's like if it's not difficult to get, it's not worth getting, which is bullshit. It's bullshit. Okay, yeah. Opposite of what we should be doing. Like, things should be flowing to us, magnetizing what is truly like meant to be. And just, so it's crazy, like, how much of that is still sort of recycling within sort of culture on a societal level, and it spills into the, the whitening soap. Come on, man. At the end of the we really dug down into who we are as a nation pre-colonization. Like, we had a lot, right? We had our respect for Earth. John's favorite fun fact is like, did you know that Filipino men invented the dick ring? And what that's saying, like, back in the day, and what that's saying is, like, the reverence and the importance that they put on satisfying a woman and pleasing a woman was, like, it was, like, respectful and sort of let me figure out how to take care of you I think now culture has shifted, tread quite lightly around the talk about Catholicism because, you know, I had my own relationship with that and my, my transition out of that. Um, and I'm very sensitive to a lot of people that we care deeply about as well, but it's perpetuating a lot of shit, to be honest. You yeah. know, the whole, even prayer hands, like this is a patriarchal thing. Women, like, have to be and you're open, not sort of like this closed energy. So, like, even little things like that, we're just continuing this, this cycle of really white male energy. When that's when, the woke shit, Sarah. <laughs> like, I feel like that's like the natural energy of our of our island. 
And so if we could come back to that, and now you're seeing it play out in politics, you're seeing it play out in the Philippines and the US, where you have narcissistic, very male figures in charge of the country, like where's the feminine energy? Speaking all kinds of truth right there, but on top of that, like, there's so much that needs to be fixed. I, I don't even know where to start, but you shed so much great light right there. Yeah. So. Yeah, like those five minutes might just be its own episode because people need to marinate on that. (laughs) Like play that every day for a week, then I'll drop the rest of her interview, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But going back to like a lot of the gems you were throwing every second, I really love what you said about honoring the feminine in terms of like the matriarchal society where it, it goes back to a lot of love, compassion, healing, and those types of energies and rooting that to where you are now and looking at sustainable fashion, Mother Earth, and that sort of thing, even how businesses are run. So a lot of what we're studying, um, whether it be coaching or self-development or self-awareness exercise, it has a lot to do with your belief system and programming when you were growing up, right? So being influenced by childhood, parents, society, education, social circles as well. Bringing that context to where you are now, Sarah. And I know you mentioned that you're currently on the path to studying trauma. How does this all relate? As a matter of fact, V, I have the answer to your question. So I think there's so much to get through when it comes to this. But what I have realized is that trauma is at the core of all of life's problems. And when I talk about trauma, there's big T trauma and there's small T trauma. If you take it as trauma sort of like on like a a societal, cultural level, it's like, you know, going back to the plant analogy where we're absorbing everything that's in our environment and that's coming up with like the best, like if you're trying to be the best plant possible, you're trying to control the environment and only put the good shit in. Anything from a big T trauma, which includes sexual abuse, witnessing extreme violence and war, for example, physical abuse, uh, anything of the sort. And then there's small T trauma, which could be something as simple as like, when you're a child, like a dog that would always bark at you from this particular neighbor's house could be sort of like small T trauma. And what I've been realizing and studying is that trauma doesn't always have to be one major event. It could be a bunch of little, little things that are building up. So this is talking about you on an individual level. On a societal level, it's like if your country's been through war, chances are there's an entire generation of women that were subject to a lot of awful things. And that trauma lives in your body, like on a cellular, right? So that's passed on as intergenerational trauma. So if you think about what our cultural line has been through, the messaging that has gone around that, we hold a lot of shame because we were always made to feel inferior. Like we were always playing the happy-go-lucky, like entertaining one to appease whoever. But at the very core, the messaging was that we were not good enough. And so we're holding that as a generation. When it comes to, God, okay, I could get hella deal. I could go really into the weeds on this, but all of that trauma is stored in the body. And so there's modalities now where if you're trying to heal from a traumatic experience, a lot of the time on a cerebral level, it won't even unlock, like it won't even let you go there. And so you could do all the talk therapy that you want. You could do all of these sort of things, but because it's living in your fascia and in your nervous system, 
you could do all the thinking and the talking you want, but if you don't release it in a physical way, you're not really healing the trauma. So there's something called the polyvagal theory, which revolves, it's Dr. Stephen Forges discovered that the vagus nerve really just runs down throughout your entire body and that it activates in terms of the autonomic nervous system. You are constantly in a really prehistoric way, always scanning for threat. There's a scan on the outside, your environment, seeing if there's anything threatening, and there's a scan on the inside. Is something happening that's not regulated within me? Something's wrong. It must be a threat. And then your body launches either into fight or flight or into freeze. And so what we're seeing now is that people are unable to come to the window of tolerance, this middle area where you can take negative feedback or you can take shit happening in your life and be just like chill about it and absorb it in a very like sort of measured and and balanced homeostasis kind of way. But what we see happening is something will happen to us and then we freak out. We go straight into fight or flight mode. I guess what I'm really trying to get down to is that we all experience trauma in different ways and we don't even realize it. If we are put onto these new ways of releasing that trauma, even without talk therapy, just on like a physical level, like there are hella exercises that you can do to kind of do that on your own. I think we'd just be in a much better place. Yeah. As a mother, the reason why this all came about was because I was trying to figure out how to raise Juno in such a way that she was her best realized self. I'm giving her the best chance. And mm-hmm. it boils down to when babies are crying, that's actually a natural release. That is the trauma release. They've gone through birth. Like you're shifting them from one world to the other. Sometimes if you've got an an epidural going on or there's some like sort of trauma, like the mom is anxious during pregnancy, this baby is coming into the world already with trauma that she or he experienced in the womb. Their release is crying. Mother nature packed that in. She sorted it all out. But what the hell are we doing? We're trying to shut them up all the time. And that's not actually doing anybody any favors. That's what leads to addiction. This need to constantly pacify is because every time we try to release emotion and heal ourselves naturally, something was being shoved in our mouth, repressing it. So that's where all these things come about. We're trying to appease and quell ourselves because that's how we were taught to cope. When really we should be encouraging release and we should be encouraging crying. We should be talking to parents about how they're raising their children and giving them the space to cry in a safe container. You always hold them. You always tell them you hear them. A container has been such a huge word for me because what spaces are we creating? What is the container for the messages we're trying to put forward? What is the container that we're creating for people so that they can feel safe letting their, all that bullshit and that hurt and the trauma out? I like what you said about everything. <laughs> I just again, I'm just like, yeah. I guess this is the five part theory. <laughs> I guess this is its own season, guys. <laughs> I feel like one of the things that struck out with what you said is having that mask of like happy go lucky all the time, and we're actually suppressing a lot of the pain. And I know I've gone through this and you both have witnessed this. By the time it comes out, it hurts. Knowing how to express that mindfully has been definitely a journey for me. Trust me. And I feel like my lessons here is I messaged, I DM'd Sarah a few days ago. I said, do you know what shadow work is? It's a lot of what you've suppressed and hidden your whole life because you felt You needed to have this sort of mask and identity to please and understanding that a lot of what your feelings were, the uncomfortable things, letting it rise to the surface is actually really healing. So whether that be trauma or other things you've suppressed, 
one of the things I'm learning about now in my healing journey is it's not any more perfection or the needing to be someone for someone. It's now about integration and combining both the light and the dark to create wholeness. I guess that's why I wanted to talk about Sarah's experiences in understanding trauma because those are things people don't want to talk about. A lot of it's pushed down underneath the surface. It's hidden, but it's where you feel all of that. It's where the healing can be. And I guess the wholeness and integration where you start to feel like a real human being. I guess the main thing I'm feeling in all of this is this sense of relief. When you can acknowledge the shadow or the trauma and also combining it with your journey now, you just have this different feeling of self-acceptance and you look at yourself differently. Yeah. Whew. Everyone take a deep breath and let it go. <laughs> One word that I do want to offer and put out there for, to just see it in people's minds is the word titration. I think when it comes to your healing journey, I think V knows this, maybe Brent does too, like I have my pendulum philosophy where I feel like everything in life can be analogized by pendulum, which swings from extreme to extreme. And what I felt is our coming home is sort of finding where that middle is. And so it happens like globally, like with politics, you're going from Obama to Trump. People react strongly to something that is like at the extreme spectrum. Same thing with gender. That is a natural sort of progression and flow and pace of whatever's happening in the world. It's going to keep pivoting back. It's going to bounce back and forth. Where we start to go wrong is when we start to control that, where people sort of get obsessed with, well, no, we need to pull it back this way. And no, 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 we need to pull. That's where that friction comes from. But when you talk about healing, the word titration basically means you come in a little bit, you touch that area a little bit, but then you pull right back. So in case it's a feeling of safety, we're going to go to the scary place, but just dip a toe in, and then we're going to come back out. You're going to become familiar with the trauma, but it doesn't in this situation serve to try to stay in light work all the time, doing all the damn things to be the healed one, the woke one, the beautiful one. you got to come titrate back and forth. You can do the light work. you got to come to the ugly place. And that's where the true healing comes. Not when you're forcing yourself to be in this place of illumination and healing, doing all the therapy all the goddamn time. Like you got to come out of it. you got to step out of it. I resonate with that so much. I remember at one point I was obsessed with healing. And then now I'm kind of like, I want to go to the club. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, it's just like, I want to, no, balance. I just, yeah. you no, know, like I want to, I can do all that seminars, women's circles, therapy. But then at some point I just want to have coffee with my friends. I think a great measure of where you're at is like, are you getting angry about it? Right. If you're trying to like shovel ideals and things down people's throats. I recently heard somebody say that the biggest expression of love is meeting somebody where they're at and never trying to pull them in any which direction, sort of, and translating your downloads into a method that they can understand. So if you were starting your healing journey and it's the very first time you're going to be witnessing your trauma, what advice would you have for someone in that space? I think as with anything new, it's always best to go in with a very clear intention. You have to have the right mindset. You have to know what you want to come out of this journey. Even if it's something as vague as, I just want to feel better. You know, you can't really put like a measure to that other than you feeling better, feeling right, feeling more aligned. 
And then the next thing that I would suggest is creating the environment in which to have this experience. If that means, you know, for me, that has meant only wearing threads that I feel like come from like a good place that are made with love and intention. It means only eating organic food. A lot of this has a lot of privilege tied to it. And that's why I'm very apprehensive about making it sort of like the end all be all because not everybody has access to that. But whatever you have in your capacity to control in your environment, if it's the people that you're surrounding yourself with, if it's getting an ample amount of sunlight, if it's exposing yourself to plants, even having a plant in your room or using aromatherapy or, you know, again, privilege, but that would be the second thing, creating the environment and the set to feel good. Shift your space. If something doesn't feel right in your room, like shift it around, keep playing until something feels good. It doesn't have to be a designer all the time. It doesn't have to, it just has to feel good. It just has to feel right. And then the last would be find a guide. I know that this is quite difficult for a lot of people, but now with the internet, I think that you can find a guide in different forms. It can be an Instagram account. It could be a podcast. It could be, you know, some, some other person's sort of like insight and experience. But if you can find somebody in your life that can kind of hold your hand through coming into this process, because it's a scary and daunting process. And a lot of the times you are too in it to assess it, that's, that's what I would suggest. I reiterate that healing doesn't, there's no end, right? You're gonna be doing this the rest of your life. Don't try to rush getting to a place, don't get frustrated with yourself. Wherever you are is exactly where you're supposed to be, and that's just what it is. Yeah. Um, life during lockdown, this whole world is, you know, majority of us are home, we're social distancing, what do you think is the lesson collectively we're all meant to learn and personally? I think that a lot of us have lived our lives like the, the crying baby pacifying with the underlying hurt. And so I think what this has done is it's, it's yanked the pacifier out. If you were the type of person that was constantly keeping busy, like on the move, always had to be at the party, always had to be like out and about, like because that kept you going, because it almost hurts too much to just sit and contend with all of the stuff that comes up. That's scary stuff. That's why some people just got to keep going because it hurts to sit still. But what I think this entire thing is teaching us is that we have to sit still now. Like we've done too much. We're doing too much to the planet. We're doing too much to each other. We're not flowing. We're not ebbing and flowing. We're just like barreling through. And it's this very like aggressive kind of energy. So mother nature's like, I'm going to pluck the pacifier out and you're going to have to sit with your feelings. Is it extreme? Hell yeah. Is it what is necessary to kind of create homeostasis in our current environment? Yeah, it has to be something kind of out there because, dude, this world is cray-cray right now. For sure. So much shit out there where it's just like, what? Like, what is at the core of all of this, like, friction and, and like, anger and fear, everything? There's so much fear. Sort of speaking on that, is there anything that we can take from this to be optimistic? after all this is done? Yeah, I think one of the beauty, the ingenious beauty, beauties that have come out of this is when it comes to sort of emotional regulation and improving vagal tone, um, what happens at creating a sense of safety is comes with socialization. It's like, again, hearing a voice that is calm, seeing somebody's face and seeing that they're not a threat, 
that is what establishes sort of this sense of tolerance where you're able to withstand the other shit that's thrown at you in life. And so what's happening with these calls, like with Zoom calls and with like FaceTime, is all of a sudden we're forced to be eye to eye. We're forced to look at each other and hear each other's voices. That's all we've got. It's not anymore about the busyness of what's around us, sort of like all three of us could be watching Fashion Week and we're all sitting watching something together, but we're not necessarily turning to each other and downloading. And we're not having those interactions and that social connectivity that is essential to creating safety within the human environment. It's remembering now the true word of what tribe means, sitting around in that circle, coming together, reaffirming our commitment to each other, that we're all in this together we got to get on the same page. And I think that's just what this has done for a lot of people. You know, there are very extreme situations where, you know, we're talking about like things like domestic violence, where things are like bubbling up within households and it's, it's painful and it's scary and it's terrible, but that's, that's what it is. It's everything coming up to the surface. And unfortunately, sometimes that all has to happen for us to acknowledge it that it's there and to deal with it as a larger community it has to get better before it gets worse. And I think that in many regards, that's what's happening now, but it is a huge global healing moment. When you realize that the fear goes away, when you realize that this is, this is like the big reset, this is the big pivot. This is the big opportunity to do it, to do it better, whatever that is in your life, then I think it becomes a little less scary. And then I think it becomes hopeful kind of just to to wrap everything up, when it comes to your journey and you being authentic to yourself, what would be some of your biggest lessons and tips for someone to find their authenticity? Be messy. (laughs) Perfection is is fucked. Like the concept of perfection and keeping it like to a T all the time. And the thing is like, you know, the fashion industry, I love it. Like it's it's the world that we grew up in, but it's built on bullshit where it's like you know people again perpetuating this image of perfection like everything's got to look spotless all the time like the background's got to be right like all of this stuff where it's like how are you giving yourself the opportunity to to figure shit out it's like the modality it's like the the culture of parenting where it's like you always like kids should be seen and not heard like that era of parenting where it's like just shut up and sit in your seat and be a, you know show it when we have dinner and guests and it's it kids weren't allowed to be messy but our inherent nature is messiness like the galaxy is like a, it's like a mess it's like shit show of like elements and, and and stars right everything it's not supposed to be perfect all the time but at the same time nature provides true beauty and symmetry. And what is symmetry? It's balance. And what is balance? It's acknowledging both fully, the light and the dark, both extremes, all genders, all manifestations of love, all political beliefs, all everything, all of it. We got to take it all into consideration to find that, that symmetry and that balance in life. If you were, because I know Brent said, like, how would you introduce yourself? So we're going to, you know, next year we also do PR. <laughs> so if a new article were to come out about you, what would the headline be? Damn, girl. What? That's not like a off the top of my head exercise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, just whatever. Whatever comes to you. <laughs> and say with you guys and, and reconnecting with me at this juncture in my life and having this talk that we have, what would you, what would you headline the article? Um... Sarah Meyer heals. That's, but that's my perspective on you. The reason why I said that was because 
Sarah Meyer heals herself in her own journey. And as she's doing that, she heals others. It's a general like herself and then it goes externally. And just your words in this podcast, I know a lot of people will see it and identify with a lot of lessons and it'll resonate with their soul. And if it's something they're currently struggling with or going through, hopefully you've said things, like you've formed the words to help them express that exactly, right? Because a lot of the pain, sometimes we just don't know how to verbalize it. So hopefully um, whoever's listening to this, they find these nuggets of wisdom or they resonate with some stories of discomfort and leading towards healing. And hopefully we just help them, you know, that's it. It's, it's very simple, right? Yeah, so that's it on, on my end. Brent, do you have anything you want to add, share, questions, uh, insights even, stories? I want to throw in a title for, for Sarah. It would be like, yeah, it would be like a cover, a cover caption, I guess. But uh, it would be The Elegance of Sarah Meyer. And I say that because MTV VJ, all that, like from when I grew up knowing you, hip hop and all that but like you're just a very eloquent person with your words and with your thoughts i don't know how i don't know if everyone knows that but i've been blessed to get to know you that way and i just think you're very eloquent with the way you carry yourself and everything brent visualized a magazine cover and mm. how the captions would look on the cover and then i visualized like how it would come up on a facebook feed like the line so that's pretty cool <laughs> I love that kind of stuff, like the exercises. Nope. So dope. We yeah. could get even more geeky about like our culture and our industry and media and, and fashion and all that shit. Like there's just, there's just so much. There's so much. I think that overall right now is the time for artists to thrive. I think there's never been a, a moment in history where art doesn't give flesh to the reality of, of circumstances. So everybody that has a creative streak in them, I, I encourage them and urge them to go out and explore it. I also encourage people to, you know, it's, it's very strange of me to say because I've always loved storytelling. Uh, I've, I've loved writing, I've loved interviewing people and, and getting to stories and sharing them because I believe that they're a great gateway into processing and understanding humanity, right? What I challenge everyone is to after you're done hearing the stories and affirming and identifying where you stand in, in, in conjunction to these stories, let's get past the stories. Like, let's get past the narratives. You know, why we're, you know, the sort of like a uh, victim, victim mindset. Like, this is what happened to me, which is why I am the way I am. Like, we can let go of that now, you know? It's time. Now the whole world knows why um, me and Brent really honor you and we wanted you to be a part of this journey. And instead of us just talking about it, now they can experience what we've experienced for over a decade, you know, or at least a decade. So we're happy to be sharing your energy with people we know as well and capturing and bottling it into this little podcast and releasing it into the world. So thank you again for joining us and thank you for your time and energy. Thank you. One last thing that I want to leave off with is uh, where you are moved, there you must stay. Thank you, guys. I love you and I miss you. Love you, too. Stay safe. Thank you so much, Sarah. Okay. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, our episode with Miss Sarah Meyer. So I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. It's just real whenever Sarah's around. Whenever we're around her, we 
don't feel like we need to wear masks. We don't feel like we need to pretend to be anybody else. What we love about Zara is the minute you're in front of her, you develop this authentic and genuine and real connection. So once again, thank you for joining us here on Theoretically Speaking. And don't forget to follow us at Next Theory, at Victoria underscore Herrera, and at Brent Javier. And if you like this episode, please don't forget to share it with a friend. See you on the next one.